The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, good morning and welcome to December of all the place, all the places to be at this time. Pretty crazy how the year is pretty much gone. And here we are on the last month before the craziness and all the rest happens. Um, and would you believe that my phone is ringing? Such a strange thing to happen at this time. Um, so moving on to a really interesting thing right now that I think we all got to watch out for. If you are not using a password manager of some sort, uh, and a lot of them are built into the operating system, um, Android has got, uh, Android has one, and Samsung has one on mobile. We also have LastPass and Dashlane and many others that you can download across multiple platforms. But essentially, we are sitting in a place now where it's very difficult when you think of how many services you subscribe to, how many different websites and platforms and work things and you name it that you land up needing a password for. And the worst thing you can do is use the same password for absolutely everything. But that's a, a, a topic for a discussion of another time. But unfortunately, one of the largest password managers, LastPass, has suffered a pretty major data breach where basically access was gained to all customer information. And they do say, though, you shouldn't worry because um, the, your actual passwords and your login password would not was not uh, breached at all. So... Those things are probably pretty safe. However, I would suggest being really cautious that if you have a LastPass um, subscription of any nature, ch change your login password right now and update your your um, information on the website of LastPass as soon as you possibly can to make sure that the unlikely event that they somehow figure something out you're not using the password. But more importantly than this, and this is where it gets super creepy and super difficult, for most of us, we don't even realize when you're being what is known as fished. And essentially what will happen is once they've got all your details, you'll get a phone call, you'll get an email setting out all your details, asking you to report something, do something, deal with something. This week, interestingly, I've got three or four SMSs about uh, bank accounts on which I unauthorized amounts of money have been taken out and it's a security breach and they say please call this number and they will deal with it i haven't called those numbers because number one most of those accounts i don't have uh, number two they would they would phone you and they would never ask you for anything particular i know fnb and all the banks have got a security alert system and there's a lot of detail but these have got very little detail they've got a weird reference number and an unknown number. So don't phone those numbers. Don't let them ask you for anything. Do not give your credit card numbers. They may even have it, and this is the problem. With data breaches like this, they may not find your passwords, which are held in a in a completely separate environment, which not even um, LastPass or these guys have. So it's sort of completely hidden from everywhere. But what they do know is everything about you. They know the credit card that you use to log in with or pay for your service. And when they start quoting this information to you, they start sounding super legit. So 
a lot of these breaches, a lot of the security breaches and things of that nature are essentially to build a profile for somebody that they wish to target. And as I said, that is called phishing. And it's an incredibly sophisticated, dangerous setup. But the basic rules are, one, use a password manager, even if it's been breached. Do not use the same password for every single website. I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of it on some cases. I keep, to, I keep saying to myself, they're very low level. I'm not worried if anyone gets into it. But the simple fact is there will come a time where someone will do a very sophisticated little phishing exercise on me, and they may well get me to divulge stuff that I don't want to divulge. So don't do it as a rule. Number two, never, no bank, no system will ever ask you for personal details like PIN numbers, account numbers, ID numbers, anything of that sort. Don't use it. Don't give it. Or rather say, not a problem, I'm going to phone you back on your on the main main uh, telephone line and phone them back. Go to the APSA website, find or go to your app and find the way that you can communicate directly with a bank or FNB or whichever it is. Don't ever just blindly dial a number you've been sent because there was a data, you know, fraud suspected on your your account. And sometimes they use amount. The one was 30,000, the other one's 11,000. They're certainly big enough that you get a little bit worried. But essentially, I didn't have an ABSA account and I didn't have an FN, um, a standard bank account. So it was, no doubt, it was, a, it was a little phishing exercise. But they do that and they may totally benign, nothing will happen for a while, but that information lands up being stored, being used and being cre um, kept to build a profile for you so that when they find something else, and they've got an almost unassailable picture of your thing. They've got your ID number, they've got your address, they've got your credit card number, and they start quoting all this stuff to you as the bank. It's very hard to say to them, well, you're not the bank. How do you know all this stuff? They're not going to say, oh, we fished, you know, for ages to get all this information. They'll pretend to be the bank. They'll try to get key numbers out of you. And then if you do have any money in your accounts that they're asking about, they may well just get taken away. So be very careful a lot of these um, breaches are really benign, but nothing in this space is benign in immediately. You may not have a problem, but down the, word, down the road, you absolutely could have a problem. And again, if you do use LastPass, they've assured us that their password vaults were untouched. So all your passwords saved in LastPass are, are safe, but it's your other information that may, all the customer information, which includes your credit card, may well um, have been breached. And there again, you need to be very careful and watch your credit cards to make sure that they're not being used elsewhere or being used online in an unauthorized manner. Generally, the credit card companies are pretty good about that and you don't, you generally get your money back. It's very rare that you can't report a fraud. The worst is you get a new card. But that's why using virtual cards online, which we talked about last week, is not a bad way to get around that whole thing. So just as our... Um, Breaches and online cyber crooks have upped their game and create sophisticated sort of profiles of the people that they're approaching or attacking. You as the consumer, you as the guy using all these services, have to follow a similar approach. You must always have a nice little portfolio of passwords you use for certain things. Again, don't duplicate them. The problem is when they get complicated, it's hard to remember, hence a password manager. Um, which helps a lot. Not perfect, but it certainly helps a ton. And never divulge anything to any phone call or any email requesting anything of that sort. Rather contact your bank direct through the bank's channels, either through your app 
or through the website, get the proper numbers, and then check directly. Never, ever take a call from someone purporting to be a bank. I've often had in cases where banks have actually phoned me, and I said, look, I'm sorry. You know what's going on these days. I'm going to phone you back or phone my bank manager back or my uh, account manager back via the normal channels, and we'll confirm everything that you need to know. So be aware, be warned, and uh, unfortunately, be super, super, super careful. And another interesting and pretty science fiction-y um, crazy news coming very soon. Um, Elon Musk announced, I think it was yesterday, that through his company Neuralink, they are planning human implants within six months. And that is quite a big, big, big deal. Neuralink has been around for quite a while. There's no question that it's um, not entirely unique technology for themselves. But essentially, what they're looking to do is to implant a little, a little circuit into your head, connect certain wires to parts of your brain. So it's probably the most invasive technology that is currently out there. There are another there are a couple of companies that do similar stuff for other things to control Parkinson's, stuff like that. But this is pretty extreme. And where they're aiming it at is to try to get people with spinal cord injuries and where they can't speak or they have ALS or something or a stroke and they cannot communicate orally or verbally in any way. Um, and they they sort of trapped in their head. And they've shown using monkeys that this is entirely possible. The monkey, simply by looking at a screen and thinking about things, can type on a keyboard. So theoretically, this this type of science fiction um, is there. We're all going to become cyborgs. And in typical Musk fashion, he also said they're developing implants that will go into spinal cords and potentially restore movement in someone suffering from paralysis. And he was always looking at, like just like there's all those creepy science fiction movies where you get an ocular implant which improves or restores human vision. So, so much stuff going on in the technology space around implants and human-machine interfaces. There's no question. We all interface with technology right now, but it's a bit clunky. It's through a, through a keyboard, through a mouse, through a touchscreen smartphone or a touchscreen device, or now more and more with sort of headsets. But the fact is when it's built in and it's part of your body, your brain is enhanced by all this technology, so much more becomes possible. So you can telepathically type <laughs> on using some of this technology in the, in the nearish future. So let's watch the space. I think there's going to be huge, huge movements. And the best thing is you, uh, Musk's technology through Neuralink might not be the only ones in the game, but he certainly has the profile, and we'll talk about that later around social media, to create massive excitement. So straight out of this, we'll be back with a big update on what's going on in the social media world. It's been a bit quiet of late and lots of rumors. So let's clear it up. We'll be back after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. So moving on, the world of social media has become in some ways a lot simpler and in some ways a lot crazier over the last couple of years. Social media got us through the crazy years of COVID lockdown and restrictions. People were using various platforms to communicate. Video video platforms are not social media, but I suppose the broader definition makes them a form of social media. But the traditional social media, the Facebooks, the Twitters, all that sort of stuff is now just 
interwoven into so much of what we do. And TikTok has been growing exponentially, especially amongst the younger, younger people. And I think all of us need to understand quite how pervasive and how integral social media has become to all our lives from lots and lots of different levels. So one thing, keeping up with friends, family, loved ones across the world, or simply sending a WhatsApp message on an ongoing basis. A lot of people don't even make phone calls anymore. It's unnecessary for the most part. Um, sometimes the sound quality is even better using FaceTime or using WhatsApp or using Signal or whatever it is that you use. And it's just so easy. It's all part of it. You're sending a little message. You think, oh, I don't feel like typing, so I'm going to have a chat. You do so. Voicemail seems to have faded into the background. It's no longer something that a lot of people even listen to. I can't remember the last time I listened to a voicemail personally. So social media use has continued to grow. This is the interesting thing. Um, a company that I've been following called Kepios um, are doing social media analysis around the world. And as part of what I do and part of what I understand and try to, to get a grip on what is going on around the world with regard to social media. But I think even more important than that, interestingly enough, is to understand a global digital overview and how this relates to social media. Simply put, more and more of the world is connected. So right now, according to these, their research, as of October 2022, nearly 8 billion, just under 8 billion people, which is a ridiculous amount of people, are on some form of dig digital connection. There are around about 5.48 billion, 68% of the population um, have smartphones or have phones, not all have smartphones. And where you can see that is that internet users now are 5.07 billion, which is 63.5% of the population. And active social media users is now 4.74 billion people, which is 59.3% of people of the population across the world. And I mean, these numbers are staggering. When you start conceptualizing how many people are either online, how many people have internet connections, how many people are using mobile devices, and how many people are active on social media, and I'll, I'll explain which social media platforms in a minute, because it's not all Facebook. Facebook's a big one. It's pretty insane. Obviously, there are laggards. The two laggards are Southeast Asia and Africa. Those are the two regions that seem to have the lowest penetration of this. So it's pretty skewed. The simple fact is in every other country in the world, because are there so many people in Africa, a couple of, sure, there are a ton of people in Africa. I can't remember the last stats, unfortunately. And in Asia as well, the underdeveloped parts of Asia, it skews it. So I would say that the percentages of within the first world economies and within the northern hemisphere are even higher. It's almost every single person has some form of internet connection. Penetrations are probably in the 80, 90% range. And the same with mobile users. And they even, if you dedupe it for multiple mobile user phones and that, it's pretty much everyone has a phone and an internet connection or both, which changes pretty much everything with regard to what is going on in the world right now. But when you boil it down to social media, 4.74 billion people are using social media. And it is pretty much broken down into a whole lot of different social media platforms. The largest single platform is Facebook. 
they report that they have 2.934 billion active monthly users, which is pretty close to absolutely insane. It skews, interestingly, right now a little older. So in other words, Facebook is not the chosen online platform for a lot of the younger users. We're talking about 13 to 25, 26, but still 2.934 billion active monthly users is pretty insane. The next biggest one is YouTube. And we were and and the reporting was potential advertising reach, which is quite interesting because you may not be a registered YouTube user, but you can be reached through your browser by YouTube very simply. You do a Google search for something, and up pops a whole host. I'm sure you've noticed of video, um, YouTube video results which you can view even if you're not logged in. So you don't have to be a registered user, not like Facebook. With Facebook. If you don't register and log in, you can't see anything or much. Whereas YouTube, you can see tons of stuff. They just feed you a whole ton of adverts, which is exactly what they want to do. And that's sitting at 2.5 billion people. WhatsApp, then, is the next largest social media platform. And as WhatsApp has developed and as the features of the various instant messaging platforms, because they used to be simply a form of advanced SMS. You could send short messages to people, but now you can send videos, you can send disappearing messages, you can send voice notes, you can do all sorts of stuff. It's become a bit of a, and I know a lot of people on WhatsApp who keep the media that's sent to them as a form of library of pictures and happenings and whatnot and places they want to visit and things they want to do. So it's become a lot more than simply a a simple messaging app. And there's 2 billion people using that. The next one, and one that's actually growing quite well, is Instagram. Instagram is sitting at about 1.386 billion. And that's, understand, Instagram's owned by Facebook. So there's a lot of cross-pollination there. They've said they wouldn't, and there was a lot of hoo-ha about it over the last couple of years. But essentially, 1.386 billion advertising potential reach. Again, the same sort of advert. And again, you can receive a Instagram picture, which takes you to a web Instagram. You don't have to be logged on entirely to see it. But still, a massive, massive amount of people are chatting on that. And the next one is WeChat, which is the Chinese version of uh, WhatsApp. And that's sitting at 1.29 billion people or active monthly users. But the one that's been growing the fastest over the last 18 months is TikTok. Now, TikTok is owned by a Chinese company. They insist that they do not have any connection with China once you're outside of China. But they've got a billion monthly active users. And that's a video platform. And again, that has become a massive store of information for a ton of people. There's there's all sorts. There's health talk and there's watch talk and there's all sorts of stuff that you can sort of follow and filter and the algorithms are pretty aggressive and incredibly smart you have a look at one watch talk if you want to call it that and the next thing you're being fed those every day ad nauseum it's quite hard to get rid of that stuff or you happen to just look at some health thing or i don't know you look at some random cat and the next thing you're being fed cat videos but tiktok as a platform has really grown in terms of monetization, advertising. Certain people make a ton of money. There are a lot of other social media platforms um, which people use for all sorts of other things that are not mentioned here. But a lot of the current ones 
are used to feed people towards those. We won't discuss all that. And TikTok being a video platform is pretty good for that in some ways. And Facebook Messenger, which is another instant messaging platform, is now just under a billion people, which is quite interesting because you'd, you'd assume that if people use Facebook, they would use the Messenger platform as well. But it's so easy not to. And everybody else is on um, WhatsApp. So people don't. And yet WhatsApp and uh, Facebook, WhatsApp also owned by um, Meta or, or Facebook. It feels like you should automatically use something like Messenger, but it's not happening. The, the, the one little fly in this ointment is that Apple do not let people know how many people use their messaging and FaceTime and video apps, which probably is close to a billion anyway, because it becomes the de facto system if you in America. It's totally seamless. You don't even realize whether you're on SMS or FaceTime because it's either blue or green and it's sort of the same app. And if the other person is on FaceTime, you automatically use FaceTime. Pretty seamless, pretty clever and pretty hidden. But generally, although there's a ton of functionality in FaceTime now, um, it's not all the messenger app. It's not quite reached the same level of social media platforms like the rest. There are a ton more. Most of them are, are Chinese, Douyin, Kaishu, Sino, Weibo, and Snapchat. Twitter, let's talk about Twitter. Twitter has been in all the news for all crazy right or wrong region reasons over the last little while. And that is because Elon Musk bought Twitter. Now, he didn't buy it like the standard sort of uh, investor would do and then sit back and let the Twitter uh, management run the show and carry on doing what they're doing because it was doing all right. There were a lot of issues around Twitter, especially around moderation and its social responsibility and hate speech and all that sort of stuff going on. No, no. Elon Musk bought it. He then kicked everyone out, pretty much. I think he's halved or even courted the workforce. Um, he's fired all the executives and apparently was sleeping in the Twitter office while he was running things. And he's now an active manager of Twitter. You've got to, under, you've got to wonder how the man does that, considering that he's got SpaceX and he's got uh, a ton of other things that he's involved in from, you know, seems to be involved in Neuralink and <laughs> you name it, and internet, satellites, but still, he is running Twitter right now, and it's quite a, a thing to see. So Twitter is a buzz, and the industry is a buzz that Twitter may, might fail. My personal opinion is Twitter's going nowhere. It's um, it's definitely an interesting platform. It became a bit of an echo chamber, and it hasn't grown in the same way as the other social media platforms have. It's got about 544 million daily users. And that is not a stupid amount in, in, in the context. Look, it's significantly smaller than Facebook, but it's still a significant amount of information. And where he's aiming, and it's clear he's aiming Twitter to be, is a form of news service that is unfettered by traditional news services because there always seems to be an agenda from a news service. You can see it in every single country that you look at. You've got the right-wing news services. You've got the left-wing news services. You've got the middle-of-the-road news services, but they all have their own agenda. They're all pandered to their own advertisers. And not to say Twitter is not pandering to advertisers, even though apparently they've been losing advertisers hand over fist. And there was even a nice rumor running around that um, 
Apple would be removing Twitter from their platform. And then the word got out that Elon Musk said, if they do that, he's going to launch a smartphone. Well, many have tried, and I assume uh, he's a smart guy and he knows what he's doing in that space, or he may or may not know what he's doing in that space. But many people like um, Nokia, like uh, Microsoft have tried, and uh, of late, uh, Huawei have tried to get uh, smartphones on the market and, and sort of chip away at the dominance of Google and, and the Android platform and Apple and the iOS platform, and it hasn't gone down well. So I think the whole brouhaha around them launching a phone and taking on the other guys is probably just a wonderful way to, as they say, um, get people to click through sort of clickbait of epic proportions to watch and follow. Simple fact is, since he's taken over, I must say, I've noticed that Twitter has seemed to have got a lot cleaner. It's got a little bit faster. And there seems to be more and more relevant stuff popping up in my timeline and less and less crazy, weird stuff popping up in my timeline. And that's an anecdotal research of one. But that's something that I've seen. I'm still maybe a little old-fashioned. I'm still quite a big Twitter follower. In the media space, that's quite a quite a popular platform, I must admit. So it's heavily skewed towards media and people who follow particular media. So as a news source, I found it pretty useful. The fact is it seems to have cleaned up. Apparently, the coders have all been kicked out and they've cleaned up everything as they've gone along. So they've made it a better, smarter platform. But there is a lot of um, talk of how they're going to manage their moderation, how they're going to control hate speech, how they're going to try to run sort of a, 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 a non-aligned platform, neither right-wing, neither left-wing, neither any-wing, but just simply this is the information out there. The the last and most significant um, social media platform that looked a couple of years back, some people may have forgotten about it. It looked like it would be really, really a smart one and would work extremely well is Pinterest, which is essentially photo boards online. You could find a topic, an interest, a hobby, anything, and start collecting images which had links to people, links to activities, links to products everywhere. They're somewhere a little behind um, Twitter in the social media space of 433 million. And then you've got Reddit and Quora, which are a little slower. Reddit being sort of the community help and discussion board, Quora pretty much the same. And they have far lower amounts of 300, 450 million users, more or less. But simply put, to do a quick wrap up of what's going on in the social media space, it is growing. There's no question um, Facebook is by far the single biggest by leaps and bounds, followed by YouTube and then WhatsApp. They are the three monsters in the game. Instagram is up there. It's over the billions. And then WeChat and other social media platforms or social media communication platforms are in the billion range. And all of those have some, with the exception of WhatsApp and probably WeChat, though WeChat does actually have a very ad-driven and service and sales-driven approach to it. All the top social media platforms are funded by spy advertising. And whether you believe it or not, whether the creepy stuff you hear, you start talking about a holiday to the Maldives, now I'm talking about it now, I fully expect to see four adverts on Facebook by this evening about the Maldives and all the wonderful stuff that's going on there that I need to look at in order to have a lovely holiday in the Maldives. So I've now said Maldives about five times and um, 
I don't know. It's crazy. Your phone seems to listen to you. Your platform seems to listen to you. And suddenly the algorithm is going to overdrive and you get delivered all sorts of stuff with regard to what you've mentioned. But the advertising industry has morphed completely. People are not watching linear TV. They're watching streaming. So there isn't a lot of advertising. They're not buying newspapers or any other form of print. So, so many things have changed. So, social media, despite it being moving back a little, and you don't hear a lot about it other than some negative stuff here and there, is growing, and it is as big and as much more integral part of our lives than you could ever imagine. Online advertising, social media advertising is where the action is. The influencers are making a ton of money out of social media, and it's just a a pretty dynamic and exciting place which has become fairly regulated and regularized. There's not a lot of great new stuff happening in that space. But watch this. That's the internet for you. Who knows what's going to happen next? But for now, the big daddies are the big daddies, and it looks like that's going to continue for the foreseeable future. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. But moving on to TVs, great time. I was looking again at some stats um, around what's going on. And the price of TVs TVs globally, certainly uh, in the the larger sizes, have dropped to the lowest that they've been in a number of years. They just keep dropping. The screens get bigger. The features get higher. The quality gets higher. And the pricing is coming down pretty significantly. Everything else is going up. Energy is going up, fuel's going up, food's going up, but TVs are getting cheaper. So if you're in the market and you are looking for a brand new TV, there is just so much um, out there and there are so many different TVs and different options and that. So I thought I'd just quickly summarize it um, for, for, for you guys and just give you a, a basic overview of what's going on. You're going to hear a lot about ultra-high-definition TVs, 4K, 8K, um, high-dynamic range or HDR TVs, OLED, QLED, LCD. I just want to break that down pretty simply. Right now, the lowest level of TV in terms of price and, in my opinion, in quality, are LCD TVs. And you can get them from sizes of 35 inches upwards. I don't know, TVs always seem to be in inches. Um, and the pricing today is pretty, pretty good. We can bu- you can buy a 35 to 40 inch TV for like 3,000 rand with some smart features, with an LCD panel, and the quality and the price ratio has never been better in that space. But let's understand what's going on. An LCD is a liquid crystal display. That technology has been around for decades now. It's become pretty pretty um, commoditized, and it's pretty good. In other words, there's a backlight that sits behind the panel, and the the little tiny pixels uh, open up or close down. In other words, they let light through or don't let light through, and that's an LCD panel. The problem is with a constant backlight running behind the panel, the picture is never truly black. It's always a little bit gray and a little bit of um, light bleed because it's not perfect when you when you activate the LCD pixel and you tell it to not let light through, it doesn't, it's not 100%. So you get a little bit of a grayness and the picture can be looking, because of that, the picture can be a little washed out 
and a little less gray, a little less black than it should rather than gray. Obviously, the top-end LCD TVs, and there are a few, have used two technologies that have pushed things really far. The first one is local dimming. In other words, instead of using one single uniform light behind the screen, they either use a few zones or millions of little LED lights which light up not every single pixel, but pretty close to every single pixel. And the, com and the computers that are built into these TVs can then you know, switch them on and off to create pure black when you need it. And those are significantly better than the cheaper LCDs. The blacks are far superior, the, brights are, the colors are brighter, and they definitely take things up. Those unfortunately start pushing the price up into the seven to 10,000 Rand range and beyond. And then the next technology which you're going to hear about is QLED. In other words, it's still an LCD TV, but they use quantum dot technology, which is a filter that's stuck on front on the front of the LCD panel, which then allows greater brightness of light because it's more focused. The downside can be a slightly reduced field of view. In other words, when you go off to the side, you lose a little bit of the picture quality. It's not directed directly at you, the light. But what it does do, it creates a brighter picture with much better quality um, and a couple of manufacturers like Samsung have piloted and pioneered the, the QLED environment and they definitely are some spectacular TVs. When you combine that with Pixel, um, with all the sort of backlighting techniques of, of multiple backlights rather than one or local dimming as they call it, you will find that those TVs become exceptionally good. However, the prices of those TVs, based on the functionality and everything else, um, can start pushing the 20 to 30,000 Rand range. Over the last little while, a newer technology called OLED, which is, which is organic light-emitting diodes, has emerged, primarily from LG, and recently, Samsung have just created their own OLED panel called QD OLED, taking quantum dots and OLEDs together to create a brighter technology which is pretty promising. Um, Sony have used that panel and Samsung have released it, not available in South Africa yet, but I'm sure it's coming in the new year. But let's not discuss it for this period. But it certainly is a brighter OLED. But OLED is a very different technology, super thin. Essentially, every single pixel on the screen, be it HD, 4K, 8K, emits its own light. So there's no question that the, when it's off, it's pitch black. The blacks are the best. The uh, colors are the most accurate as a result, but there is one downside. LCD can get a lot brighter than OLED. So in very bright rooms, you'll find OLEDs are washed out and not as, as bright and as easy to watch. But in the evenings and dark rooms with normal sort of lighting, OLED pictures are the sharpest, cleanest, and, and probably the most accurate you can get in, in, in TVs right now. The hassle is right now, OLED TVs are the most expensive from the 20 all the way up to, depending on your sizing, 100,000 Rand for a TV. So essentially what you need to look for is a TV that um, gives you the best quality for the money. If you're not prepared to spend more than 5,000 Rand, you'll find up to a 40, 45 inch um, LCD panel. There's some good ones from a number of manufacturers. Just look at the quality of the picture, the lack of, of grayness. So in other words, it doesn't look very washed out and you can get a really good TV. Above that, the quantum dot LCDs are excellent. They've got smart platforms. They've got HDR. They've got lots of features, so you can you can run streaming directly. So it's quite a big deal with regard to um, 
the TVs, but they can vary from five to 25,000 Rand in that range, and some of the really excellent. The other thing that's happened is that the average size of TVs has gone up like mad. The A decent TV now, sort of entry level, is almost 55, 55 inch, with 65 inch becoming more and more and more common. And in South Africa, luckily, we got a bit of space, so you need a decent TV. And if it's a 4K TV, you can sit a lot closer. That old rule of thumb that you had to be three minutes away or three meters away from a a big screen is no longer relevant because they're more pixels, it's sharper, it's easier to watch. So my recommendation is if you want the best, look at the OLEDs or the QD OLEDs that are coming. Um, the, the, the quantum dot LCDs are great, but they not great pictures in comparison to OLED, in my opinion, for the most part. And even the highest end Samsungs, which cost similar to OLED, are not quite identical exactly the right quality for compared to OLEDs, although they do have the benefit of being far brighter. And in big bright rooms, they will definitely be easier to watch. So stay tuned. I'm afraid we have to take a quick break for our sponsors now. And I'll be back to wrap this up because there's so much going on in the TV space and so much in terms of pricing and sizing and you name it, that um, I'll wrap that up straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Now, to wrap up the show, I'm not going to get into too many other little gizmos and gadgets this week because there's just so much to talk about with regard to TV. I often get asked, you know, which is the best TV and what should I do? It's fairly simple. I think if you're under 10,000 Rand, look for a top-end LCD with local dimming, um, 4K resolution, HD. If it's smaller than 40 inches, you can get away with. But generally, a 1080p HD screen um, is good enough at that size. You won't see much difference. Rather, you have something with local dimming and a higher quality panel than 4K. Above that, today the standard is 4K. You should absolutely go for an ultra high definition TV of 4K, and it is certainly a lot better. Again, between the 10, the 7, and sort of 20,000 Rand range, there are a lot of great TVs up to 65 inches that would really work extremely well. Again, look for ones with local dimming quantum dots, some of the more advanced technologies to improve the picture. Above that price, my personal recommendation, there are a number of very high-end Samsungs and other TVs with quantum dot technology that are excellent. And certainly, if you've got a very bright open room, you may look at those 65, 75 on bigger screens because of the price. And they are very good TVs. But for the ultimate viewing sort of quality the OLED panels and now the QD OLED panels, which are a bit more expensive. Again, it's new technology in 4K or 8K have become more and more reasonable. So Samsung have got a great range of 8K TVs and the pricing is not significantly out of proportion to the 4K equivalents. And although there's not a lot of 8K material out there, the TV itself does a lot of upscale, upscaling and and, and conversion, which creates an incredibly detailed picture because of the type of resolution that we have. So if you are looking at anything over 45, 50 inches, 4K, 8K minimum, and right now shop around, the pricing has never been better. There are a lot of great deals from all the manufacturers and don't discount some of the smaller manufacturers, obviously Sony, Samsung, and LG sort of dominate the high end. But there's some really great TVs out there 
have a look at the operating systems, what what streams on them. I know DSTV have had a couple of get, little problems with some of the product they can stream their app on. But generally, all the Netflix and everything stream on the smart TVs. They need to be connected to the internet. But most times, that's not really a problem. And on that note, I've been told I have to wrap up the show for today. So thanks so much for tuning in. Stay tuned till same time, same place every week for all the latest technology and technology new news. This is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk right here on High FM.